Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Let's give God a hand clap this morning. If I've got any fourth through sixth graders, Miss Tracy informed me that there is a class specifically for you and you are currently dismissed. So if you want to go, otherwise you got to listen to me. Uh, this class will be, um, I guess just follow all these kids. Okay, big kids go that way. There you go. I want to welcome you. Uh, as they're heading out, just a bit of housekeeping. Uh, overseers, uh, we met recently and just prayed on. We've been talking about, thinking about, talking to our staff about just how to navigate this next season. Uh, I mean, obviously the COVID numbers are increasing and uh, we do not minimize that. Uh, COVID is it's a legit thing and a lot of people are getting seriously ill because of it. And so, you know, we need to be cautious and, and do what we can within reason. But I do want to let you know that we are convicted and committed to having in-person worship service no matter what. Um, and so just so you know that we are going to be here every Sunday and uh, we're going to take precautions and do what we can, but we believe that God's word is not arbitrary. And so when, when the Lord says, do not forsake assembling together, some are in the habit of doing, but all the more as you see the day approaching that we should meet together, then we affirm that. We believe that. So just so you know, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, if you have any questions, obviously you have any concerns in this room or online, most of you have my cell phone number, and some of you are not shy about blowing my phone up. So <laughs> come on. Uh, I'll be glad to talk to you. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. I've had two weeks to kind of reflect on this. I was supposed to preach last Sunday, and I, I got sick, a stomach bug, and I, I thought I was going to die. It was one of those stomach bugs that you kind of wish that you did die. Have you ever been there? It's like, Lord, just take me home. Uh, so that's kind of how I felt this time last week, but praise Jesus for all the support staff here and they came through and we had a powerful service last week. So the Lord showed up and I'm grateful for that. Uh, but I've had a couple of weeks to reflect on this passage and one of the things that it's kind of opened my eyes to is that I am sometimes deficient in dealing with people that aren't like me. Can anybody else relate to that? Sometimes I struggle dealing with people because and this is my deal, uh, I, for whatever reason, I can say the grass is green and there are people that will legitimately <laughs> argue with me. And it's just like, we're living in two totally different worlds and I have, I have a hard time dealing with that. And I think in life, we're constantly gonna be surrounded by people that are just coming from a totally different place. And they look at the world totally differently than us and you know, they have every right to be wrong, you know what I'm saying? But we still got to, we got to figure out how to interact with these people. I went to Vegas. My wife and I went to Vegas for my 40th birthday recently. It's a strange place for a preacher to go. I understand. Our goal was to be at the Grand Canyon on my 40th birthday. Vegas was the cheapest, easiest way to get there. And so, you know, cheap is my favorite price. So if you know me very well. So we landed in Vegas. We were there for just maybe an hour, 9 a.m. I think on a Sunday is when we landed. And one of the first things that we saw is this man out in the middle of the street. He had on suspenders and I don't know, I didn't look closely enough to figure this out. It was defying physics, but the suspenders were attached to some sort of an undergarment that looked like a thong, 
Okay, and so this is a grown man. I won't give you any more details because that image is burned in my mind. I don't want that for you. And so this was the first of many encounters that we had, experiences that we had through the week. It was just totally, just made us feel so uncomfortable and so out of place. And so from the moment we landed to the moment that we took off, it, we had kind of an attitude, a spirit of get me out of this place and away from these people. And I think the passages that we've been unpacking the last several weeks, the disciples probably had a similar kind of vibe. They had a similar feeling because the, the disciples, they grew up, they're good Jewish boys and they've been taught their whole lives that you're supposed to stay away from people that aren't Jewish. They're gross, they're disgusting, they're godless and their cooties are gonna rub off on you. And, and Jesus, he takes his disciples out of their home territory, surrounded by all their Jewish kinsmen and he leads them on a 150 mile journey. It took about, it took months and months and they're just kind of meandering. You know, it's one of those trips that your kids keep asking you, when are we gonna get there? And you're just like, shut up, right? It's one of those kind of trips. Jesus is just meandering in this godless Gentile territory. The disciples are surrounded by the kind of things that we saw in Vegas that made us totally uncomfortable. They're surrounded by people that are literally godless people uh, they're surrounded by this culture where sexual deviancy is just running rampant. Even in the temples, that's how they worship. Prostitution and orgies and everything else. And it's right there on the street. And then you've got, they're eating this, this meat that's been sacrificed to these demons. And they're worshiping demons and praying to demons in their homes. And so the disciples, the whole time, months and months, 150 miles, they have this spirit like Eric and I had in Vegas. Just get me out of this place and get me away from these people. We'll see it today in the passage. Mark chapter eight, we're gonna begin reading in verse one. If you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. In those days, there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked them. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples and set them before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there. He dismissed them. And immediately he got into a boat and his, with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. My prayer today is that we can adopt the same spirit that Jesus had when we are intera interacting with people that aren't like us. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for my friends that have gathered here today. Thank you for everybody that's watching online. We have assembled here, Lord. We bow our heads. We close our eyes. We gather around your word. We lift up your name because we love you. We long for you, Lord. We're desperate for you. We know that we don't have the answers. We know that we don't have the strength. And so we come to you and we, we call on you to be our savior. Lord, I pray that you'll come. Holy Spirit, come and have your way in this place. Lord, there are people here that are struggling and they have needs. Some of those needs are, met, are unmet, Lord. Some of those needs are hidden even from them. They don't even know why they're struggling or, or what the solution is. But Lord, you know and you can supply their need. And so Lord, we need you. We long for you. Please come. Speak through me, Lord. I'm a sinner. 
I'm only saved by your grace. I'm not that smart. I'm not any better than any person that's in this room or any person that's watching online. They don't need anything from me. Lord, they, they need something for you. So please, Lord, speak through me today. I'm your instrument. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, pray a prayer or something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In Mark 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, we see that there's a large crowd that is assembled around Jesus and his disciples. Uh, like I said, they, they are finishing up a missionary journey. This is a months and months long journey, 150 miles. This is the last event on this missionary journey. Jesus will leave from this place and he goes back into Jewish territory and he's making his way to the cross. Jesus plans to leave from here make his way to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he'll be arrested, he'll be tried, he'll be unjustly convicted of a bogus crime. They'll nail him to a cross. They'll bury him in the ground. Three days later, he'll come back to life. He'll spend 40 days with his disciples and then he's going to ascend to heaven. And in ascending to heaven, he commissions his disciples this mission that I've, I've taken upon myself to redeem the world. He passes it on to his disciples and he says, go and preach the good news to all the nations. And so this is the last event on this missionary. It's kind of like a walking seminary. Jesus is with his disciples. And uh, these men are just fishermen. They're sinners, just like us. They're not that bright. These are, these are the rejects in many ways of society. Jesus handpicked them. And now he's given them this job. I want you to go and this redeeming work. I'm going to change the world and I'm going to use you to change the world. That's a big job. That's a big job. Part of what Jesus is doing here in this, this 150 mile journey is he's trying to reprogram his disciples. His disciples grew up hating godless people. Anybody that wasn't Jewish, they were told you don't eat with them, you don't hang out with them. If you for some reason have to go through their town, when you leave their town, you, you get all the dust from that town off of you, you go home, you wash your clothes in bleach, you take a hot shower, uh, ivory springs, whatever. I mean, just get it all because the, they've got cooties. You don't want any of that rubbing off on you. And so if the disciples are going to advance the kingdom of God, if they're going to accomplish the mission of God, then their mind about people who are different from them, their mind must change. They've got to have a different outlook on the world and on people who aren't like them. Verse two, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, I have compassion on the crowd. They've stayed with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. And some of them have come a long distance. And I want you to notice here how considerate Jesus is. Jesus has a lot on his plate. How many of you got a lot on your plate right now? Always, my wife says, because she got to deal with me. Always. When you, when you have a lot on your plate, when you're carrying a heavy load, you got a lot of irons in the fire, when you're stressed out, isn't it easy to just kind of like wall into your own little world and kind of put blinders on and you're so focused on fixing whatever your problem is, whatever your stressor is, you're just trying to navigate it and that's human nature. And in doing so, if there's, if there's other people that come alongside you and they have needs, isn't it hard in that moment to see their needs? And sometimes if they, if they have needs and they bring it to you in a way, kind of get annoyed, don't you? It's like, I just need my spay. I got to fix this problem. Well, just think about what Jesus has on his plate. He's trying to train these rejects to be world changers. 
He's training them. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows as he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to encounter all sorts of opposition. They're going to kill him. He knows what's ahead of him. He's going to die on a cross. How overwhelming is that? And then he's going to face the devil. He's going to battle the enemy. And so Jesus has all this on his plate. And in the midst of all this stress, he still has the capacity to care for these hungry people. Jesus is not preoccupied with his trip to Jerusalem. He's not preoccupied with dying on the cross. He's not so preoccupied with training his disciples. He's not so preoccupied with dealing all these people that are going to come after him that he can't care for these people that are hungry. Jesus has on his mind these these men and these women that have been with him for three days. They haven't eaten. They're in the middle of nowhere. And he is concerned that if they leave without him feeding them, they'll collapse on the way. So he says to his disciples, I have compassion on the crowd. Now there's many third person references to the compassion of Jesus all throughout the gospel, Mark, all throughout the gospels. Mark chapter one, verse 11, or verse 41, Jesus, it says that Jesus felt compassion. Mark chapter six, when Jesus saw the multitude in another passage where he feeds 5,000 people, his first response, he saw the multitude and Mark chapter six says that he felt compassion. We could go on and on because this is a theme all throughout the Bible that God is a compassionate God. Psalm 111.4 says this, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Let me say that again. Some of you guys missed an opportunity to say amen and praise Jesus. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Anyone else grateful for that, that reality? Not like the demons that the Gentiles worship because they worship these gods that if you messed up, the gods were ready. They were excited about striking you with lightning. If you miss one of the offerings, if you miss one of the sacrifices, then you were in fear of judgment and condemnation. Those are the gods the Gentiles knew. But Jesus comes along and he says, I have compassion on the crowd. I'm not a cruel God. I'm a compassionate God. I praise Jesus that God has been compassionate to me. In Psalm 78, this has been so true in my life. Maybe you can relate to this. Verse 36 and following. But they deceived God with their mouth. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were insincere towards him. And they were unfaithful to his covenant. Can any of you relate to that? I know I've been that. And look what it says. And yet, all of that, and yet God was compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity and didn't destroy them. He often turned his anger aside and did not unleash all his wrath. Our God is not cruel. He's compassionate. What's interesting about verse 2 is Jesus says of himself, I have compassion on the crowd. Every other place in the gospels, what you see is that the narrator says of Jesus, he has compassion. But here Jesus says of himself, I have compassion. Why does Jesus do that? In this place, surrounded by these people, only place Jesus says it, why? He wanted his disciples to know after they've walked all the way through Vegas, they walked all the way through the strip and they saw all the suspenders, all of the suspenders. 
150 miles, they journeyed, the disciples journeyed through godless territory. They saw all sorts of wickedness. They saw all sorts of depravity. They saw all the reasons that God would judge these people, while all the reasons God deserves his wrath to fall on these people. And after seeing all of that, Jesus wanted his disciples to know, he wants you to know, I have compassion even on these people. Jesus' reflex His first response towards people is not condemnation, it's compassion. The the disciples, they still didn't get it though. Look at verse four. His disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? If this story sounds familiar, it's because just two chapters before this, Jesus fed 5,000 people, just 5,000 men, plus women and children, so about 25,000 people. He fed them with five loaves and two fish. You remember that story, Mark chapter six. And so the disciples' response here is not about how to. Their response here is about want to. I've got three daughters, and we're trying to train them to be productive, self-sufficient adults. This is a long, arduous process if you got kids. I asked them to fold their clothes the other day. My, my two youngest, uh, my oldest is an angel. She's perfect. <laughs> so I asked them, I said, fold your clothes. And they said, Daddy, we don't know how to fold clothes. And I said, well, you did great with your little baby doll clothes when you were playing house the other day. <laughs> Just do that. It wasn't about how to. It was about want to. This is what we see with the disciples. It's not about how to. They know where the bread can come from. Jesus miraculously can create bread. They know. Just just give him, he doesn't even need a loaf. He'll send it from heaven if he has to. He can bring the bread. It's not about how to. It's about want to. The disciples didn't want these people to be fed. They wanted these godless people to leave and never come back. They wanted these godless, demon-worshiping people to collapse on the way home and hunger to death. That's what they wanted. They're asking Jesus, why would you miraculously feed these godless people in this God-forsaken place? The word feed there, probably better translated satisfy. That's probably a better translation. And so what they're saying is, where would we find enough bread to satisfy these people? In other words, Jesus, even if you did feed them, They're so godless and ungrateful and sorry, they wouldn't even be satisfied. They're unworthy of your blessings. And so for them, the thought process of Jesus performing that kind of miracle for these kind of people, that wasn't even a possibility. Look at verse five. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked them. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground, taking the seven loaves. He gave thanks, broke them, gave them to his disciples and set them before the people. So they served them. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he said, these were to be served to them as well. And so I want to encourage you uh, as homework, read Mark chapter six, the same account, similar, very similar account in Mark chapter six, where Jesus feeds the 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. Uh, The process by which Jesus goes about feeding this crowd is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. He commanded the people set in groups. In Mark chapter six and in Mark chapter eight, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke the bread, he passed the bread to the disciples and then the disciples went and served the crowd. The difference between what happens in Mark chapter six and what happens in Mark chapter eight 
In Mark chapter six, the disciples are serving a primarily Jewish audience. So they're serving people that look and act and think like them. In Mark chapter eight, the disciples are serving a primarily Gentile, godless audience. So they are serving people that they hate, people that do not think and act like them. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's providing a powerful object lesson. He's saying to his disciples, exactly as I have done for you and your people, I am willing and able to do for people who do not think and act like you. Exactly as I've done for you, I am willing and able to do for them. The compassion that God has for you is not just reserved for you and your tribe. The compassion that God has is available and it's abundant for all people. Verse eight, it says they ate and were satisfied. They collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. The disciples said of these people, remember, it was, it was such a little hateful little comment. Where would we find enough bread to satisfy these people? They were so hateful towards those Gentile, non-Jewish people. They didn't think it could be done, but Jesus satisfied them completely and there was leftovers. Because this is what Jesus can do. Jesus can do what nobody else can do. You, you can run to all the other gods, all the other idols in this world, looking for that hole, looking to fill that void in your life. And listen to me, the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, whatever Vegas has to offer, whatever the world has to offer, the money, the nice things, the vacations, the entertainment, we could go on and on. What is it that you're trying to fill yourself with? Only Jesus can completely satisfy Everything else is gonna leave you hungry. Everything else is gonna leave you longing for more. Only Jesus can satisfy. And listen, friends, Jesus satisfies completely. He satisfies completely. Jesus's provision is perfect. It is not lacking in any way. I want you to know that this bread and this fish is the best bread and the best fish that's ever been eaten. First of all, carbs are a gift from heaven, amen? A no, no carb, low carb diet is, it's gotta be a scheme of Satan. That's the only thing I can try and figure out. If you're on it, I will pray for you. When God sent food from heaven, it was not lettuce wraps or broccoli. What was it? It was bread, amen? It was bread. And this bread that Jesus makes here is the best bread. It's better than Texas Roadhouse Rolls. It's better than those uh, Red Lobster. What is it that we have at Red Lobster? Oh, so y'all get, watch out. <laughs> Got a little too excited there. Better than Olive Garden breadsticks. It's the best bread that's ever been eaten. Why? Because this is bread that is out of nothing. It's never touched the dirt. It's never been soiled by human hands. This is a creative miracle. Ex nihilo, Jesus takes bread and he breaks it. And then this bread begins to multiply. It's miraculous bread. It's miraculous fish. This fish has never eaten a worm. It's never smelled bad. It's beautiful. It's fresh. Nobody's ever tasted anything like this before. In Mark chapter six, same type of miracle Jesus performs. I love the phrase. It says, Jesus kept giving the bread. It didn't stop. It it didn't get to a point like, okay, that's enough. It just kept coming and coming and coming because that's who my Jesus is. Amen. 
That's who he is. He gives the best things and there's no limit. He does exceedingly abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. When we put our hope in him, those who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. So good, they kept the leftovers. That's how good it was. So good. So I've been reflecting on this. There are a couple takeaways I hope to encourage you today. Number one, Jesus has compassion even for those you hate. Jesus has compassion even for those you hate. Part of the Jewish cultural DNA was a hatred for non-Jewish people. It went back for millennia from the founding of the Israelite culture. They, They started to develop this idea that it was their job to hate everybody that wasn't like them. And they did everything they could to not even touch these type of people. Remember the story of Jonah? God comes to Jonah and and he says to Jonah, I want you to go and preach a revival in Nineveh. And Jonah gets angry about it because he knows the Ninevites. The Ninevites have been terrorizing the Israelites forever. The Ninevites have been so cruel to Jonah's people. And the Ninevites, they worship demons and they they sacrifice their children to idols and they do all sorts of crazy, evil, just depraved stuff. And so these people, in, in Jonah's mind, these people do not deserve They do not deserve to be forgiven. They don't deserve God. And so what Jonah does, he gets this message from God. God says, go to Nineveh and preach, preach to the Ninevites. Jonah would rather die than see the Ninevites saved. He gets in a boat and he goes exactly the opposite direction of where God has called him to go. Well, God doesn't stand for that. Uh, This is a little, this is a free tidbit. If God calls you to something, you might as well do it because it's going to happen, right? And so uh, a series of events, Jonah gets swallowed by a whale, he gets spit up on the shore of Nineveh, and, and he goes and he preaches. Uh, not, will, not willingly, he doesn't, doesn't like it one second, but he preaches, and the whole city of Nineveh surrenders. They repent, they cut to the heart, they repent, they surrender their life to God. And so that's the same attitude that the disciples have towards this group of people. They'd rather see them die than be saved. They, they would rather see them die and burn in hell than to be saved and go to heaven. They would rather, rather them, them um, f- uh, collapse on the way home and hunger to death than to feed them. Now, here's the reality, and this is just being real. You need to be real when you're in this place. This is real hope for real people, right? Real talk all of us have certain people or people groups we feel that way about. Deep down, we all do. It's human nature. People that are so different than us that look at the world in such a drastically different, sometimes a drastically wrong way, and, and they seem so far from who you are and everything that they stand for is opposed to everything you stand for. And there's part of you that just wish they would just go away and never come back. There's part of you that wish that they would collapse on the way home and hunger to death. But this is, this is what this passage is teaching me. The same compassion God has shown you, he also extends to them. Now, textual critics, what they'll use, they'll use this story in Mark chapter 8 to try and discredit the Bible. 
So this is what they say. They say, well, this is a copyist mistake because the stories are so similar. You read, you're going to read Mark 6 later, right? That's homework. You guys have already forgotten your homework, so that's not good. You're going to read that later, and you're going to see how similar it is to Mark chapter 8. And so this is what textual critics, they'll say, well, this is, this is proof that this is a copyist mistake. Uh, they recorded the same exact story twice, and you can't, you can't trust the Bible. The Bible's not trustworthy in its current form. That's what they'll argue. But there, there's a couple of small little differences between these two stories that, that prove that is to be just a false um, conclusion. And I think it's important to point out. So a couple of little things. In Mark chapter 6, verse 43, uh, it says, they picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Uh, that word baskets there in Mark chapter 6, verse 43 is a word, the Greek word, kofinos. It's the same word that we use, that we get our word coffin from, kofinos. It's a word that means a small basket. It's like a lunch pail. So they picked up 12 lunch pails worth of leftovers. In Mark chapter 8, verse 8, it says, then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. Now, in English, same word, basket, basket, one small basket, one large basket. But in Greek, it's two totally different words. This word is spuridos. This is the same word in Acts chapter 12. You remember when Paul was in Damascus and he's trying to escape from Damascus and they put him in a basket? This is the same word used for the basket. It's a basket big enough to put a human in. And they lowered him down. And so this is what you see. Jesus goes on later in Mark chapter 8 to distinguish the two events. Uh, the disciples start arguing over bread. We'll, we'll, we'll unpack this passage here in a couple weeks. And Jesus corrects them with this reminder. Mark chapter 8, verse 19. When I broke the five loaves for the five thousands, how many coffinos full of leftovers did you collect? How many baskets, coffinos full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many spuridos full of pieces did you collect? How many large baskets do to collect seven okay all that to say this jesus performs the same type of miracle twice and mark perform or, or records the same type of miracle twice this seems redundant right what is the purpose of jesus performing basically the same miracle two different times and why did mark feel the need to record both of these miracles just two chapters apart this seems redundant what's the purpose the Jewish people were split up into 12 tribes. It was the 12 tribes of Israel. In a similar way, the Roman Empire was split up into seven territories. There was, it was called, known as the seven hills of Rome. So Mark writes to a Roman audience, okay? He's writing to a church in Rome. In the church, what you have, you have a group of Jewish people. You also have a group of Gentile people. They're all in the same room. They're having a hard time getting along because the Jewish people are saying, if you really want to be close to Jesus, if you really want to be a Christian, then you need to become a Jewish person. And the Gentile people are like, you guys are holier than thou, and you're always judging us, and we don't really care for you. And so they're always button heads. And so Mark is writing to this audience that's split and having a hard time unifying. And this is, this is the message he wants to really highlight this and Jesus performs this miracle as an object lesson in Mark chapter 6 this is what's happening Mark chapter 6 there are 12 baskets left over one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel this is what Mark is saying this is what Jesus is illustrating there is enough grace and power left over for all of Israel 
In Mark chapter eight, there are seven baskets left over, one for each of the hills of Rome. What is Jesus trying to communicate? Why does Mark record this? He wants you to know there is enough grace and power left over for the rest of humanity. There's left over. God is not limited in any way in his grace or in his restorative, redemptive power. And so there are people in your life that you feel are so depraved. There are places in this world that you feel are so desolate. And I want you to know that there is still power. There is still grace. There is still redemption available, left over for those people and those places. Amen. Don't limit the saving grace and the transformative power of Jesus Christ with your hateful and judgmental worldview. Yes, there are people that rub you the wrong way. There are people, and many of them are wrong. Many of them are wrong. And, and what they come against is, 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 is an enemy to everything you stand for. And I get that. I get that, but many of you are canceling the banquet before you even given Jesus an opportunity to do what only he can do. Many of you are saying, no, this is a lost cause. This person is a lost cause. There is no hope for them. There is no hope for this place. And you're just trying to pack up and go home. And Jesus said, give me a chance. Just give me a chance to do what only I can do. Don't limit his grace. Don't limit his transformative power. Here's the other thing I hope you leave with today. It is not your job to judge. It is your job to serve. Let me say that a different way. I think we've got to do better at starting with compassion. I think we got to do better at starting with compassion. May we not take on the role of judge and jury. That's what we're tempted to do. Okay, you're wrong and you're sinful and so you're, you're canceled. That's, that's our temptation. May we instead take on the role of the servant. The lost person is not a trophy to be won. The sinner is not a mountain to be conquered. Those who are disconnected from Christ is a hungry person that needs to be fed. Do you see the distinction? It's not a person that I got to take the, I got to get the biggest Bible and put a handle on it and just smack them upside the head until they finally get it. That's not the goal. The goal is this is a person who is void of life. And Jesus has given you, he has taken his body. He has blessed it, lived a blessed life. He's allowed himself to be broken and now he's given you the bread of life and he's saying, I want you to go and serve the multitudes. That's exactly what Jesus has done when he's commissioned you. And he's saying, I want you to go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And you're like, I don't like the people that live on that outside of the earth. And Jesus said, I don't care. I've broken my body. I've given you the bread of life. Now you go take it to them. They are not beyond my redemption. They're just hungry. They're hungry. And so listen, at our church, we don't have bouncers at the door. We've got greeters. Okay? We're not, we're not, there's not going to be any preconditions or prerequisites if you can come and sit at this table. Everybody's welcome here, right? Everybody's welcome here. We're not going to ask for your vaccination card. We're not going to ask for your voter ID. We just want you to come as you are, where you are. And we're going to do our best to serve you. 
Okay, now, now here's the thing, and I do need to make this distinction. There does come a point in discernment, and Jesus talks about this earlier in Mark, that you got to shake the dust off of your feet. You know, there comes a point where you got to say, okay, this person, this person must not be the person, I must not be the person that God wants to bring the gospel to this person because this is not working right now. And so there's a time, there is a time you got to shake the dust off your feet and you got to move on to the next town. But let us begin, let us begin with compassion. Let us start with service. And this is what's going to happen. You start serving these people where they are with what they need not asking them to change before you show them kindness. You just show them kindness for the sake that they're an image bearer of Christ and Christ has shown you kindness. You start doing that and guess what happens? Your heart towards these people begins to change. We're called Christians. The word Christian means little Christ. Started off derogatory, but I'll take it. Make me a mini Jesus. That's what I'm after. That's what you should be after live the life that he lived. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so as you walk in his footsteps, as you're covered in the dust from, from he's kicking up, he's walking along. That's how the disciples were. They were covered in the dust of Jesus. May I be covered in the dust of Jesus so that, so that I start to look like Jesus. That's the goal. And then watch what happens. And then people will be completely satisfied when they're, they meet Jesus. Then things will change. So may your compassion and your willingness to serve not be based on their deservedness. Truth of the matter is they probably don't deserve it. They probably don't deserve compassion. They probably don't deserve kindness. Don't base it on what people deserve. Truth of the matter is you didn't deserve it. That's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is when Jesus found you, there you were in your little suspenders and whatever else was attached to it. There you were. And what did he do? He stepped out of the throne room of heaven. He came and he took off all of his luxurious, all of his kingly garments and he put on a servant's robe and he got down on his hands and knees and he washed you clean. He made you right. Amen. And so have that in mind as you go out in this world and you got to encounter all these knuckleheads, right? You got to encounter all these people that are difficult to deal with and start with compassion. The same heart Jesus had towards me, may I, ha- may I have that heart towards others. This is what I believe. You start with compassion, that's revolutionary. Imagine, men, imagine how your marriage would be revolutionized if you started with compassion in dealing with your spouse instead of just flying off the handle because you're stressed and you got a lot on your plate and you're trying to solve all sorts of problems and here your wife comes and she brings you another problem to solve and you're like, ah, that never happens in our house. (laughs) What would change, friends? What would change if you started, if you started with compassion, if you started by being considerate? What would change, parents, if you started with your kids, not with just trying to like, you know, just force your will on your kids and being such a bully 
to your kids? What if you started, not that there's not a place for discipline, there's a place for discipline, but you started with compassion. You started with being considerate towards your kids. What would change about this world? What would change about this city if you started looking at people, not with condemnation, but with compassion? What would change about the city? I met this lady this week and it broke my heart to hear her story. She told me that she was an addict here in the streets of Winchester for nine years. Praise God that he's delivered her from that. Praise God that he's healed her from that. And now she's starting to do this ministry where she goes out and she tries to reach reach this unlost people group, this lost people group that nobody else seems to help. But she told me something broke my heart. She said, I was walking the streets of Winchester for nine years and not one Christian person stopped and tried to help me. Not one time in nine years. That's an indictment on the churches in Winchester. It would change if we started looking at those people that are walking the streets, stumbling around, skinny as a rail, stealing stuff from everybody. Instead of us looking at them first with condemnation, we looked first at them with compassion. It would change. And so may we adopt the heart of Christ. And we live that out, and I believe it can revolutionize this world. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. It's trustworthy and true, and thank you for your compassion. Lord, you have been compassionate to me. I was hungry. I was empty. I was thirsty. And you gave me your body. You gave me your blood. And you said, son, if you will eat this body, if you'll drink this blood, you'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. I will come in you. I will be with you. I will satisfy you, Lord. And you fulfilled that promise. As rotten as I can be, as cantankerous as I can be, as ornery as I can be, Lord, you still love me. You keep giving. You keep blessing. You keep serving. You keep being and doing what only you can do, not based on what we deserve, but based on who you are. You're just that good, Lord. And so I pray right now that fall, that truth falls on every person in this room. Every person that's watching online, may they be overcome by your consideration, by your compassion, by your kindness, Lord. May we be transformed into your image. Lord, that that we will take your body and we'll serve people with it. We'll go and feed those that are hungry spiritually. Lord, help us to do it for your sake and for your glory. Lord, if there's any person in this room who's empty, who's gone to all the other gods, gone to all the other idols, gone to all the other wells, and they're still lacking. There's still a hole in their heart. Lord, I pray today you'll give them the courage to come and fall at your feet. You say, come to me all who are weak and weary and I will give you rest. Lord, may they believe that today. May they come and fall at your feet and be filled, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. As we do, this is an opportunity to be reminded of the body and blood of Christ. On either side of the stage, we have uh, crackers and juice. They're emblems. They represent the body and the blood of Christ. It was 
body that was broken for you, blood that was spilled for you. This is a great time to be reminded to celebrate that. This is also a time to be prayed for. If you're here today and you're carrying a heavy load, if you're struggling, if you're empty, come to Jesus. Come and kneel at this altar. Let one of our prayer warriors pray over you. Dave's standing here. He'd love to pray with you. I'm standing over here. I'd love to pray with you. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. Don't put off the best thing that can ever happen to you. Come. Come and just say, Jesus, I need what only you can give. Please save me. I'll surrender my life to you. And if you do that, the Bible says those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. Your life will be forever changed. Don't put off the best thing that happened to you. Come as we sing this song.